cue crazy intro music. Next time. Hello, I'm Matt Ian Kelly, and this is my first podcast to the world. Um, first question that you may ask, or you may not want to be asking any questions, is why do I need to listen to this? Why do I want to listen to this? Who is this person? And if you don't know me, why would you want to listen? Um, I'm going to tell you the reasons why I'm doing it. And if they appeal to you, then that's great. If they're opinions that don't appeal to you, you don't have to listen. But anyway, just going to put that out there in the world. So really my, my reasons for doing this, I suppose the first why is, well, I've got a studio. I bought a studio for voice work um, and voiceovers and having the ability to be able to turn around a voiceover in a short space of time and send it to somewhere else in the world very quickly and to bid for jobs is kind of expected now. Um, and last year I invested in this equipment and it started to work a bit for me but I also thought I'm going to use this to the maximum. So that's one of the reasons um, is to use my beautiful equipment as they would say in the business. Um, I'm recording this on an audio, I'm going to have to go away from my pop shield, Audio Technica microphone which is a beauty and I think has a lovely quality to it. Anyway, I'm not here to talk about microphones. Maybe that'll be another podcast down the line. No, please don't switch off. Um, another reason, I suppose, is um, I suppose is life changes and um, I want to kind of record my thoughts being a man of a certain age. We'll talk about that later. Man in his 40s, late 40s. Um, and I think I've been quite affected by, in the last year, in 2016, uh, losing some of my touchstones. David Bowie, Prince and George Michael. Um, and I think it's affected me more than I kind of initially thought it would. I mean, I always realised those losing those people would be fairly devastating, but it has, I don't know, it's touched nerve. And I think especially with George Michael being, I mean, I think we're roughly five years between us, which I kind of find weird to comprehend. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that, that that actually has triggered me into action more than anything. And I kind of want to record where I am and how I've got to where I am at this point in my life. So yeah, and I suppose finally the the other reason I'm doing this is for my friends. Not as a something to play posthumously when I'm gone, which you can do if you want to, but hopefully we'll all be going around the same time. Um, but also just to kind of check in with them, give them a this is who I am. Um, and if I can talk to you to the podcast like I would talk to friends, then hopefully I'm achieving the best thing. I've listened to a lot of podcasts in the last year. It's really become part of my life. And so I thought it was time for me to to put one out there. And I'm probably going to initially put this out on SoundCloud. It might end up, um, I have to figure out, putting it on iTunes, somewhere like that. But right now, I think that would be the first step. So that's where we're at. And that's wise and how. So anyway, hello. 
Um, so let's start at the very beginning because it's a very good place to start. So I was born Matthew Ian Kelly. <laughs> God, I'm not going to drag this out. But I was born in Wexham Park Hospital in Slough in 19... Wait for it. 68. The Summer of Love, 30th of June, 1968. I'm well old. Um, and uh, yes, and the first few years of my life, I'm not going to try and jump ahead too much, were fairly straightforward. I had... I had my adenoids out as a little boy. I was in hospital and had my adenoids out when I think I was six. Um, uh, because I had, and I still have, bad hearing. Um, but that didn't really change anything. And then they put a grommet in my ear. And I just, those are kind of my earliest sort of memories of uh, of being in hospital and having things in my in my eardrum. I had a grommet, as it's known, which now is a dog in a cartoon, but a grommet put in my ear to release pressure and a build-up of something called glue ear. I don't even know if it exists anymore, if it ever was a thing, if it was just something that doctors made up. I don't ever hear about it anymore. But anyway, it's supposed to release the glue. Sounds absolutely gross, but uh, stuff did come out, but then I got an ear, uh, my eardrum was infected too, so that wasn't great. But anyway, that's kind of early memories, earliest memories. Um, also, uh, being very attached to my mum had a silky um, dressing gown, kind of slightly padded. I can't really explain. Like, like if you go into a, I say, I suppose a recording studio or a padded cell. If it was padded with silk, kind of pockets of silk on a dressing room. And I remember that just finding that very comforting being near the silk I don't know it's, I'm not going to go as far as to say it's a fetish because I was a child so it wasn't that but it was something very comforting and that stuck with me for a while so there we go, early memories, silk uh, dressing gowns and uh, and infected eardrums um, I went to my first school which was called St Mary's C of E combined school which was in a little tiny little um tiny little school initially uh very old-fashioned that had boys and girls entrances i don't think we had to go in the boys and girls entrances but it definitely had those above the doors i remember that um and uh only just being able to reach the coat pegs it's another memory um but yes yeah, so that was only for i think for maybe two years at the most and then the school moved into a more modern building on a place called Yew Tree Road um, uh, in Slough. And I I think I actually really liked school at this stage. I had friends, lots of friends. I played quite healthily. I, n I wasn't the best student. Not that I was badly behaved at this point. I just would drift off and uh, my imagination would take over and I would be in other worlds whilst in the classroom. Um, uh, a bookcase fell on my head one day because I was so busy cleaning bookshelves. I was obsessed with books. I read a huge amount, um, kind of between the ages of six and 
probably up to about the age of 13, I was quite a bookworm. Um, but yes, so I was obsessed with the dressing up box. Um, so any chance we had to get the dressing up box out, whether it was playtime or whether it was for an activity during a class, I was in my element. I guess that's the early beginnings of the actor. Um, or just somebody who wants to have fun. I don't know. Um, and then also say, I, I would, the library in the corner of the room, I suppose you'd call it a library, it was three bookcases, and I would always be allowed somehow, instead of doing other things, I would think I would ask, and the teacher would allow me to to file the books and, and put the books in alphabetical order and clean the bookshelves. My lifelong love affair with cleaning began then. Um, and yeah, one day the bookcase fell on my head um, and I think I was a little bit concussed um, and I was sent home early um, and uh, I remember my mum talking to me about not resenting the books or the school and I never did, but anyway, had a sore head. Um, early memories, then school I had, uh, I was also a member of the Cubs and uh, that didn't last too long um, and I did do a couple of badges I remember I had a reading badge of course and I had a sewing badge uh, who knew um, but yeah somehow back in the day I had an interest in sewing I can't sew on a button anymore so I don't know where that went um, but the, the, the main the most important thing in my life when I was probably from the age of about six, I had a friend called David who was uh, from, I believe when I was playing, when we'd call it playgroup, which is now nursery or kindergarten or whatever you might call it, preschool. Um, but yes, um, and we were friends and we kind of remained friends f for a long time, but he went to a different school and uh, I had a friend who kind of I stuck with throughout school probably from the age of about I suppose it must have been about seven or eight through the age of to the age of 10 11 um, which seemed like a long time at that point um, but he was my best friend and you know we used to make lists I'm sure you all done it make lists on paper of best friend number one, second best friend, third best friend, and spend lots of time writing this stuff out. Occasionally it would change. Usually stayed the same person at number one. My number one best friend was um, a boy called Paul Watkins, who wanted to be a speed racing car driver. Um, Formula One, I suppose. Uh, and he used to imagine himself as the car, um, and his arrival at the Masonette I lived in, which we'll come to in a minute, would always be preceded by the sound of him in Slough High Street running down the street to run around the back of the shops that I lived above uh, the sound of him roaring like a racing car would be the sound of his arrival and I just remember hearing that sound of my friend roaring up in his imaginary car or being an imaginary car um, and he would tell me what car and what model and make and I would just kind of say yes because my family didn't have a car and I wasn't really that interested uh, I was glad my friend was happy being a car but uh, it wasn't wasn't for me but anyway and then we'd uh, go into uh, the games of uh, usually we'd play we 
played lots of things. Anything from the Dukes of Hazard to Space 1999, Star Wars. I went to, yes, I saw the original Star Wars in the cinema. And I'm sure someone who is more in the know would be able to tell me what year that was because I can't think offhand. Mid-70s? I don't know. Anyway, um, so Star Wars was part of our lives. Um, I think Star Wars is possibly like the second or third film I, I'm i aware of seeing. Obviously, I went to see Snow White and um, Bambi when I was a child. The film that first kind of really made any impression on me, funnily enough, was Mary Poppins. And for a while, because I was a bit shy, um, not to any degree in school, it wasn't too bad. I was shy around adults, teachers, family members, adults in shops. And my parents thought it was a good idea to send me to a child psychologist. And in the child psychologist, two things happened. One, I discovered with this child psychologist's encouragement that if I jumped off tables with an umbrella, that one day I too would be just like Mary Poppins and I would have the ability and the strength. And I think it was something about her strength and her positivity. I don't know. Um, but also, uh, there was a big box of toys. And in this big box of toys, she'd asked me to put my hand in, pick an item out and tell me your thoughts on this item. What does this make you feel? Teddy bear, a book, um, uh, a rubber, um, some kind of rubber toys. And there was one rubber toy in particular that I put my hand in one day and picked out. And uh, it was a rubber spider, but it was very realistic. And now, of course, I put my hand in a box and I felt a rubber spider, I'd know the difference. But I guess at that point, I haven't en hadn't encountered that many big spiders. And I think that kind of set up my arachnophobia for life. So, well done, child psychologist, on that one. Good work. Anyway, I digress. Um, so, my best friend, Paul, and we'd play in a place called... Um, Lascelles Park, I believe, in Slough. Big, big, big park. Well, it seemed huge. I need to go back there um, and revisit it. But we'd play for hours and hours. And we'd play outside. Um, and we'd go out at, I don't know, nine in the morning. Obviously, this is when school wasn't in session. Um, but we'd play for hours and hours Um climbing trees in a park. I used to climb trees in a park. I never hurt myself. Not that I remember. Nothing major ever happened. And people just, my parents, let me. I suppose you could. Uh, the good old days, I guess. I don't know. Um, we were told to not talk to strangers. Um, and I vaguely remember one gentleman trying to... I believe genuinely it sounds like a story, but offering us sweets in this LaSalle's Park one day. And I remember that sort of vaguely happening. But we said no, and that was the end of that. And I, and I don't really remember any more of it. Um, but generally it was it was okay. We used to play in a multi-story car park. I mean, that was a bit dangerous and things happened there. And, um, and there were a lot of uh, winos as it was called, winos. See, this is an old word, a wino. Don't know if people would call winos winos anymore. But there was a car park behind the back of the Masonettes that I lived in. And beyond that car park was kind of a, a patch of grass with some trees that were close to a, to an off license and to a pub. And 
this group of I suppose now they'd been I, I'd probably now just say they were homeless people but guys used to sit behind the trees and drink hidden away in these trees and so me and my friend Paul used to talk to them over the wall and sometimes they'd be really friendly and sometimes they'd be really aggressive and shout and we'd find it really frightening and run away but actually were quite excited and I think we probably used to throw pebbles at their head not stones it wasn't that vicious but I think we did pick the things up and chuck them at their lob them as we would have said probably at their heads um strange pastime um and then in the daylight because that was usually early evening when that would happen before I was had to go back in um and then we'd go around in the daytime and you there were all these these I mean, they're huge bottles. They were just probably normal-sized bottles, but at the time, I thought they were huge. These huge bottles of sometimes half-full alcohol, beer, wine, mainly wine, maybe bottles of cider, I don't know. I didn't really know that much about it at the time, but I remember it smelling and the smell of alcohol. And at that point, in that place, it just made me feel really sad and a bit sick. Who knew, years down the line, how much I would enjoy a fine Pinot Noir. Um, but yes, so um, so my best friend Paul Watkins, um, we did everything together and we obsessed about the same television shows. Um, Dukes of Hazard, as I say, Space 1999 was a favourite. And actually that's where one of my heroes first comes into the fray. Um, she was called uh, Maya. Maya, I think she was called Maya. Um, and she was... Uh, a metamorph was this alien creature from I don't know what planet but she the Space 1999 crew who are stranded in on Moon Base Alpha um, pick her up along the way it's one of those but then she becomes a regular character and she fascinated me she just had to think hard and she could become she could metamorph into anything she wanted to do anything she wanted to be whether it was another alien or a tiger or a man or anything she could be whatever she wanted and I think that really got my imagination running crazy um, and so we'd play Space 1999 and she was a lady but I would always create a new character in our games outside of the TV show in the parks where I would be her long lost brother and whether I had a name or not I don't know but uh, it was as close as I could be to being her because I wanted to be a metamorph I want. I found that the ability fascinating exotic um i didn't just want to be colonel or commander uh with my laser gun i wanted to be able to defend myself as a tiger uh, uh whatever so th that was a big part of our games um so yes uh we also uh were obsessed with both of us obsessed with wonder woman um and i just thought she was brilliant um, and then, of course, the Six Million Dollar Man. The Six Million Dollar Man, Steve Austin. I had a toy, uh, Six Million Dollar Man, uh, that had uh, a magical eye that you could look through that was supposed to be magnifying, I think, but didn't really do a lot. Um, but he used to hang out with my action men. Um, and they'd swap clothes and they'd sit and talk about clothes. Hmm, that was the beginning of something there. And I think they'd tell each other how handsome they were. 
Uh, there was a lot of that going on. These were games that I played on my own with the Action Men and my Steve Austin doll toy. Um, but, um, but anyway, so yeah, we were obsessed with Six Million Dollar Man um, and the music that used to play whenever he did something bionic just used to get me so excited. I was so filled with joy whenever that show was on. And then we'd talk about it uh, the next day. We'd watch it and then talk about it. And also at this point we started, I'd be able to go down to my grandparents' uh, masonette and use their phone because my parents, at that point, didn't have a landline even, I don't think. No, they didn't. They didn't have a landline. They'd just used the phone in my mum's mum's flat, which was only a few doors away. But it did mean that if anyone called, you'd have to go down there. I'd only just remembered that, goodness. It's beyond me. My, I must ask my father why they never did get a phone at that point. It's very strange. Um, anyway, um, so we, I would go down to my grandparents and ring Paul and discuss Steve Austin's adventures. And then we'd meet up the next day and reenact them, potentially, or our own take on it. So I was obsessed with that stuff. Um, my other show, which is probably from when I was a bit younger but kind of stayed with me even well probably even till now was Mr Ben Mr Ben owned a magic shop and a costumer's shop um, and he was able to uh, put a costume on and go into a world uh, he could put a space he could put a astronaut costume on and go to the moon he could put a knight costume on and go back to medieval times um, and joust um, he could put a clown costume on and be in a circus and that also fascinated me. I guess it goes hand in hand with the metamorph thing. Um, obsessed. I'm still quite happy to watch that show. Um, then other things that other, I mean, it was a lot about television, I suppose. Television was really quite a big part of our friendship. Um, uh, we had Scooby-Doo, um, Spider-Man, the cartoon, the original Spider-Man cartoon, and that theme music. Spider-Man, Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. I guess is how it goes. That used to, again, I remember it kind of getting the, the, the hairs on the back of my neck standing with excitement. It's a cartoon. But yeah, so superheroes was a, was a thing. Um, I had some other friends who I played with as well. Paul Watkins being friend number one. Um, I had another friend called Edward Fletcher Wells. Um, and he was, uh, he was our more, I remember him being a bit more of a, a calming friend, a bit more stable, didn't run around as much as we did. Um, then we had my friend Upcar, who lived around the corner, and I think I'd go to his house, and that's the first time I ever ate um, Indian food, um, and found it a bit spicy and exotic, but Again, exotic and exciting. Um, but I don't think it necessarily agreed with me initially because I was on a very, very, very um, English diet at that point. Um, McDonald's had just started happening. McDonald's, I think I I was told at this point in my life that the second McDonald's in the UK, the first one was in Baker Street and the second one was in Slough. And I remember going there for the first time and I they had slidey seats. So when... If you were a little kid, you couldn't really get up to the seats and sit. It was kind of a lean-on seat rather than actual seat. Um, and I remember that being a problem. And 
my dad kind of having to hold me up and sort of me putting my legs against the bars below to keep myself there. Anyway, McDonald's. I loved McDonald's. Haven't had one for many, many, many years, but at that point in my life, didn't really matter. Didn't have to worry about weight. And people didn't know it was unhealthy, or if they did, they weren't telling us. Anyway, um, then I had another friend. Uh, I had a, a girlfriend. I said girlfriend. I remember writing down that she was my first girlfriend, Lisa. Um, and... Uh, she was taller than the rest of us and she was, I remember being much more mature and just generally kind of being a bit in awe of her, I suppose. I don't know. Um, she looked a little bit like Velma from Scooby-Doo, but taller. She was cross between Velma and Daphne, I guess. I, I loved Scooby-Doo as well, of course. Um, but also at this point in my life, I discovered, me. well, I'd always loved music. Music's always been there. Um, and like listening to whatever my parents would play. Stevie Wonder, Rolling Stones, Carpenters, Radio 2 featured heavily in our house. So uh, a lot of good stuff there. Um, but then I sort of started getting my own taste. I remember watching ABBA win the Eurovision Song Contest. I rem was allowed to stay up and watch that. And it was so exciting. And that song still yet yeah, the memory of where I I can remember that night very really quite vividly um, so my, my love affair with ABBA began then um, uh, Leo Sayer um, who else and these are the kind of first albums I bought on on vinyl um, Boney M one of my first albums was Night Flight to Venus my goodness I must track that down one day um, and I left them in a in a plastic case in the sun on a windowsill and a couple of them melted and one of them was the Boney M Night Flight to Venus and I had to go out and rebuy it because I was so upset um, that with pocket money or a present I can't remember I remember it I, I was allowed to have it a second time but told to actually not leave vinyl in the sunshine um then the other thing I really was obsessed with, I listened to lots of classical music um, and was interested in being sort of a classical musician at this point, was playing a lot of classical recorder, was winning recorder recitals. I was I was a Berkshire champion recorder player, um, won a competition, and I can still play the thing I won vaguely um, if a recorder is handed to me. Um, and I had a... Uh, a treble recorder as well as the standard and so became a bit obsessed with uh, music of that well Henry VIII music as I used to call it as a kid I wanted to play Henry VIII music <laughs> green sleeves of course um, but then also my parents went to see Clockwork Orange and came back I remember them going out on my nan babysitting me and I stayed up later than I should and persuaded her to let me stay up till they got back and asking them about the film and them kind of being a bit cagey about it and saying well it was but they enjoyed it but it was yes it was a bit bit scary um and then my dad bought the soundtrack and I used to play the soundtrack over and over and became obsessed with uh, it just was really haunting um and just yeah that that 
that would get played constantly. Um, and I kind of my imagination would run wild of what actually happened in the film. So when I finally got to see Clockwork Orange, it did live up to all my expectations, but the music is what makes the film for me anyway. We'll come back to that later. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I had a, I, my childhood was okay, was probably not that, you know, my hearing. And then things that I do sort of remember that I was a bit different, I suppose, is from when I was playing in the dressing up box um, and always wanting to, and, and getting jealous of when the, because I'd of course never be the hero of the piece, I'd be the best friend of the hero or the assistant to the hero. And then when one of the girls and the hero ran off into the sunset, I would be jealous that I didn't get to run off into the sunset with the hero of the piece. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, in these games. And kind of at that point, I did, didn't know any different. I didn't know it made me gay. I just knew that that was, well, I didn't know anything. I just wasn't very happy with the fact that why did the girl always get the guy, I suppose? And of course it wasn't anything sexual at that point. It was just, well, why can't I have that? I'd see my best friend quite often who would uh, then go and get married at the end of the game to, well, actually to my girlfriend, Lisa, quite often. And so, yeah, jealousy is there. Very confusing. Um, but other than that, I didn't have any questions of my of who I was, really. I was just getting on with life, as you do. Um, then kind of... Uh, Paul and I became obsessed with the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew mysteries um, that was something quite uh, that had a big impression on me and I actually started reading, didn't read Nancy Drew but I did read Hardy Boys mysteries and my imagination, I, I thought they were brilliant I wanted to be friends with them and I wanted to be like them, I wanted me and Paul to be solving mysteries um, and we'd always be solving mysteries and we'd create mysteries in Slough um, uh, and things that would happen that we would say that were completely unexplained and how could how could that be and there's a conspiracy and yeah conspiracy theories when you're eight years old to ten years old is uh yeah i guess that's where it starts <laughs> i don't hold them anymore um i suppose there was well then of course a big thing happened uh in 1976 uh my sister emma was born and I'd just been free reign. I had a half-brother. I still have a half-sister and brother. That's complicated. But see, currently do see my half-sister again at the moment. She disappeared out of my life for a while. But at this point in my life, in Slough, I'd see my brother and sister, Helen and Simon, on a weekend. Uh, they'd come over and hang out with us uh, on a Saturday, sometimes into the Sunday, I think. But definitely all day Saturday. Um... And that was something I looked forward to because if I wasn't with my friends, I would be with them. Um, and they started to have quite a big impression on me, I think, and influences on things that I liked as they were older. Um, and um, I also had a cousin called Susan. And this is kind of where things and my music tastes started to change a bit. Uh, because uh, she introduced me to Kate Bush. Now, obviously, I had this baby sister who at this point was... I mean, she's one of my best friends now, but <laughs> but when you are... 
eight, and then there's a baby. You, I, I was never unpleasant to to her as a as a as as a baby. I just was a bit bemused. I think I, th- I remember feeling that she was quite sweet, um, and she was quite a quite a healthy baby, shall we say? I was quite a healthy baby too. We weren't we weren't tiny babies. Uh, well, she certainly wasn't when she was a few months down the line. There's a picture she has of both of us, and uh, she's she's a healthy size, shall we say? Um, as was I when I was a babe, um, and might be again now. But yeah, um, so I did kind of look to cousins and half brothers and sisters for uh, for inspiration, and then so my cousin Susan introduced me to Kate Bush, so. I started to obsess a bit about Kavish. I had seen Wuthering Heights on Top of the Pops and it did blow my mind um, and loved it. But it was actually uh, my cousin Susan playing me albums and saying, come up to my, my, my room and listen to these records. And she'd play me The Police, um, very early Police. Um, I think maybe even The Clash. No, it would have been The Clash. That was later. I don't know, but definitely The Police um, and Kate Bush. And them them became a a lifelong love. Um, I listened. She played me... My goodness, what would the album been? The Kick Inside, I suppose. Um, Yeah. And, And just finding this and then any and then saying that I wanted Kate Bush albums for birthdays and Christmas and so my Kate Bush vinyl collection built up reasonably quickly um and again I would play those records to death scratched um as I rewound rewound picked up the needle and put the track back and started it again uh a lot of scratches on them remember that but yes and my love of Kate Bush started um and then they say there was there was there was the baby there was the baby sister um, and she, we discovered, wasn't very well. She had a hole in her heart and a heart murmur. Um, so it was decided that she'd need to, uh, basically, to live somewhere healthier than Slough High Street. Now, I must just go back a bit here. I don't want to uh, take away from my sister's story, but there was the fact that where we lived okay was Slough High Street and we lived above um, a dancewear shop um, and two doors down from the dancewear shop was uh, a joke shop it was called a joke shop but it sold um, tricks and fake poo and and uh, and 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 stuff that I think if you were actually a member of the Magic Circle you'd probably go in and buy. But the the fake poo was the stuff that interests me. But the interesting thing about these shops were they were owned by the Cooper brothers, as in Tommy Cooper and his twin brother David Cooper. Um, so Tommy Cooper was around in my childhood. I'd see him at the back. I'd be playing with my grandfather's televisions because my grandfather had a few doors down from then had. Uh, a TV repair shop and out the back where people would park their cars and the, the entrance to our masonettes um, were where people would go in in the back of their shops and so I'd play with uh, backs of <laughs> old televisions 
quite quite unbelievable that I was allowed to, but I guess they weren't plugged in. So, um, but sharp corners. Anyway, what did my parents know? I don't know. Anyway, but I'd be playing with the backs of televisions, making worlds out of these televisions. And uh, and Tommy Cooper would come by and talk to me. And his, his brother David was around a lot more because Tommy, of course, was busy with his career. But occasionally he'd pop by. And then um, the, they both, the Cooper brothers, discovered that I started to have an obsession with Fred Astaire and tap dancing. And I did do some tap classes. Um, but I think I gave up fairly quickly. Um which is something that, you know, I wish I'd continued because I'd gone through that as a child and just kept going into... But anyway, who knew at that point? But anyway, so the Cooper brothers, Tommy and David, gave me a top hat and a cane and said, go for it, Sonny. Go and be Fred Astaire. Um, And it was a plastic top hat and a plastic cane, but I was so happy... Uh, and I wasn't really aware of who Tommy was at that point. I, I, I'd, I'd see him on television, but he was kind of on royal variety shows and things like that that I didn't actually have that much interest in as a child. Um, and then when I kind of did become aware of him, I thought he was just a bit silly, and because him and his brother were people that I saw around, it didn't really register with me. Now, of course, I realise he was actually a comedy genius but yeah anyway so that was a little proud moment uh, and something that happened so we lived in these masonettes um so i was a happy boy living in my masonettes with my top hat and cane with my best friend paul watching six million dollar man listening to amber and then kate bush and then a baby came along and then she wasn't well and then we had to leave and then it was i was told that we well my father was looking for jobs and kept disappearing and went to hereford and at one point, there was a there was talk of the US, and I think that probably would have excited me. Um, but damn it, we didn't go to, I think it was Texas? But he didn't ever go and have the interview, but he, he was looking at jobs there. Um, and didn't even go to Hereford, no. He got a job in Ilfracombe, North Devon, which now when I... Well, I haven't visited for a long time. When I did visit with my partner, Keith, quite a few years ago, probably even 10, 12 years ago, um, it, I thought it was quite pretty and there was beautiful countryside around it. The town itself was, a, at that point, a dying seaside town with a drug problem, but very pretty. Um, and it wasn't with a drug problem. I mean, there were a few people, there, were, there was a, a street that we were told to avoid. But I guess seaside towns, that stuff happens. Anyway, um, so we upped and left Slough. And at that point, I was leaving my best friend, Paul Watkins, behind. And that was kind of, when you're that age, that's the most important thing in your life. And I was devastated. Um, there was a little bit of excitement that I was moving from a masonet into a, a five-bedroom four-story house Victorian house um, but that that bit was fun but then the distance really started to take its toll and we moved during a summer holiday and then I had to start school and I had to do 
no, in fact, I didn't do. I only had to know what we didn't. We left before a summer. I had to do two terms or one or two terms in this junior school. And it was horrific because I spoke completely differently to the rest of them. In Slough, I used to wear a big silver silk tie. It's back to silk again. Silk tie to school. And nobody used to question me why. And my parents just used to let me do it. And I just liked wearing it. And nobody ever questioned it. Um, And then I wore that into a school in Ilfracombe. And I remember being laughed off the face of the earth. And then some girl in the class taking the tie from me, tying it around her head and saying, look at me, I look like Duran Duran. Um, oh, needless to say, I have to jump back. Duran Duran's just reminded me that before we left, before we left Slough, I had become aware because of Kate Bush and because of my cousin Susan, she'd also brought to attention, which I'd kind of been aware of and seen on top of the box, but she told me it was something that I should like, was David Bowie. And he'd really started to interest me, but scare me a bit actually scared me a bit he was an alien i was excited by his alienness his otherworldliness but so i didn't buy into him straight away but i was you know i was young so uh i guess you don't um but the fascination started there anyway so jumping back moved to ilfracum girl on a, putting my scarf and my tie on her head being Duran Duran and that I kind of becoming aware of them and then that that was cool Duran Duran were cool and that I had ABBA and Kate Bush and Boney M and Leo Sayer and those things weren't cool um, so then it's kind of that was, I think that was the first time I realised I might actually have to start changing my tastes in music anyway so I was stuck in the back of beyond 30 miles to the nearest station um, and then I did that term whether it's two one or two terms at the junior school um, and then I started the comprehensive school after the summer holiday and I actually now thinking about it I do remember that summer holiday and being a bit lost as what to do because I didn't really have anyone to play with and being quite sad goodness me oh my heart's breaking poor child um there was lots to do because there were beaches and stuff and I think my parents probably tried to facilitate a lot of that um and signed me up to a marching band and I don't think I went initially I think I I I um, put my foot down and said, I'm not going. And then I started the school, the comprehensive school, and then I was encouraged to be join the marching band, which is another part of my life story. But so these things, things started to change. And then uh, I was told that my parents at some point in the near future would have to go and spend quite a bit of time back in London. Are you kidding me? Because my sister 
would have to go and have some big operations on her heart, otherwise she wouldn't be around. And obviously, I... The resentment was... There was resentment, but not a huge amount, but it was kind of the resentment that we've all dragged down here and you're telling me at some point you're all going to disappear and leave me and go back to the southeast. Well, thank you very much. My grandparents moved with us as well, left their masonette, so they were living in the top of our house. And I'll come back to them uh, at a later date. But um, that's who my parents eventually left me for a summer to be with. Um, and I ended up having a wonderful summer. But again, that's for down the line. Um, so that's where we are. Moving, I'd lived in Ilfracombe, lost touch with my friends. Um, we did have phones. We had three phones in this house. Um, and I remember ringing Paul Watkins on a green trim phone, as they were called, the trim phone that makes the trim noise, um, and trying to sound like I was having a really good time and that I wasn't missing him and that I wasn't lonely, but I was just really, really, really unhappy and just wanted to be back in Slough with with slightly more multicultural people. Um, because in Ilfracombe there it was it was limited, shall we say, uh, at that point in time. So anyway, this is where we leave the lonely 10, 11 year old and we'll continue the story next time on another thrilling instalment of why and who I am. All right, thank you very much for listening and we will speak soon.